is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. So from now until leading up to uh, Easter, which is April 9th, uh, we're going to be looking every Sunday at passages to call us to be people in mission, Uh, The three core values of North Cross are, first of all, you start with, uh, we're a loved people, we're an equipped people is number two, number three, we're a sent people. So I want to encourage you as you think about your relationship to Christ through this church, this local church, what it would look like for you to develop a mission statement, and I'll be talking more about this, but to have a mission statement that's related to your connection to this church. So it would look something like this. As a follower of Jesus Christ and a member of North Cross Church, then we'll fill in the blank. So I'll I'll be teaching about that and do some training in that. I heard a line today that I, uh, this past week that I love is that God trains us to reign with us. Um, So we're trained to reign. Uh, It's a little nice little ditty there. You're trained to reign. And so when God in creation created the world, men and women were to rule the earth with God. Uh, They were to reign. But when you go to Romans 5, it talks about the redemptive work of Christ is now you have this language that you and I are to reign in grace. We're to be people because of the grace of the gospel. We reign. And I usually don't have that kind of feeling. I don't feel like I'm a ruler or I have a lot of power or have a lot of ability to affect and change things. But when you get that vision of reigning uh, with Christ, co-creating with Christ, his 
kingdom and what he wants to do in us and through us as a community, uh, things start to get really exciting. Um, uh, I, one of the women I worked with uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, when we were there, is I would always say to her, hey, Sybil, how you doing? She'd go, devotion in motion, you know? Uh, she was just somebody who was eager to serve and get in there and help people and serve. So we're uh, called to be devotion in motion. And so I thought a great place to start would be to look at Isaiah, particularly 61, because this is Jesus' mission statement. So obviously he reads from that in Luke 4, and we're going to put that all together or start this morning with that. Uh, but uh, the, let's do a little background on the book of Isaiah, because again, here's that, that uh, Isaiah being sent, having that sense of feeling. So if you go back and read Isaiah 6 sometime today, it says, in the year of King Isaiah's uh, death. So all of us know how important it is to have a great leader, a great coach, a great teacher, a great principal. And so Isaiah was a great king. And Isaiah grew up as a prophet under his leadership as a great king. And uh, when he died, it was just very disturbing. And he was discouraged. And so he goes into the temple in Isaiah 6, and most of you know the story. He has this unbelievable vision where he sees the Lord, and again, in this case, Jesus, on a throne. The whole room is filled. He's hearing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Christ, the God Almighty. There's all these mythical, magical creatures flying around. It is like if you could use your imagination and visualize what is going on here. All of a sudden, Isaiah is transposed from being very discouraged and defeated like he's seeing a vision. So uh, I think uh, you know what happens next is that he, he's immediately convicted of how unworthy he is, how unholy he is. Talk about confession and worship. He goes right there and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a land of people who are unclean lips. And when he says that, he says, I'm a liar and everybody else is a liar. I mean, he just gets right down to it. He's blunt, he's honest, he's, he's real. Now, uh, if your theology is not good or you don't know God very well, you'd say, well, in light of that confession, you're toast. <laughs> you know, God, you're bringing God's judgment down on you. So again, you can imagine, again, you talk about a cool story, great children's story, is that all of a sudden one of these magical creatures flying around the throne where the worship's going on, the temple's filled with smoke, this magical creature goes down and picks up a coal, okay, and starts flying towards him. Now again, this would be great to visualize and all that, but in terms of a movie or a film or a cartoon, uh, but this creature's coming right at him. Now, if I'm Isaiah, here's what I'm thinking. I'm toast. <laughs> He's bringing a burning coal towards me, okay, at however fast he's coming, and I'm just ready to die. Now, here's the question for some of you. He's flying towards him with the coal, and he's going to touch his body. Where does he touch his body? Who knows the answer? Mouth, very good. You must have had that touch, you know. So uh, anyway, he, uh, he comes and touches his lips. So the very thing he had confessed, God says, you know, I'm going to help you with this because one next is that what he hears is that your sins, your sin is forgiven, 
Your guilt is removed and your sin has been atoned for. Your guilt has been removed and your sin is atoned for. Here's the, here's the beauty of what it means to be sent is you realize you're forgiven and there's someone who has died in your place, died in such a way so that you can now be set free. <laughs> so Isaiah, rather than dying on the spot in judgment for his confession of being a dishonest prophet, he gets forgiven and then he's reminded there's been someone who's died in his place. Now, go back, there's a little bit more imagery we can think about in this. He's looking at Jesus uh, on, exalted on the throne, underneath are the burning coals, okay? So this is a great visual image, but you can imagine going to temple and watching sacrifices being made for you, where an animal would be uh, sacrifice to remind you of the forgiveness of sin. You put your hands on the head of that animal. Uh, the animal is sacrificed, and then it's put over burning coals. So right in this thing, you get this picture of the one who is the Lord God, Jesus, is going to be the Lamb of God, who will be over those burning coals of judgment and die uh, for us in our place. And so... Then God says rhetorically, we have this great need to take this message. Who will go for me? And most of you know, because you know the story. Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. So let me ask you, is that your answer when God says, will you go for me? Will you go for me into your workplace, into your family, your neighborhood, this Lake Norman area? Will you go for me? And your response, because you're so thankful for the forgiveness of your sins, and Christ's uh, propitiatory, blah, 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 I can't say the word, propitiation work, um, uh, is so wonderful, so amazing. You go, I, send me. I want to go. But you and I know how often we have tasted that, we've wanted to go, but world comes at us, things happen to us, and we have a great need because most of us walk around with amnesia. We forget that our sins have been forgiven and there's been an atonement made which can change anybody's life, which can transform and do amazing things for people, but we forget. Now, if you're as old as Mark and I am, you know that you used to watch TV shows way back in, in black and white, you know, and uh, there were shows where one of the characters would get hit in the head and have amnesia, and they'd forget who they were. And I remember as a young boy watching this story thinking, oh, that would really be cool because my family was so messed up, I wanted to be taken out. Wouldn't it be great that I could forget all the craziness going on in my family that I could have amnesia? Uh, there's a great thinker, theologian, who wrote a book called God's Forgetful Pilgrims, but in the introduction he says, the title I wanted to give the book was Cinderella with Amnesia. Um, so what happens when we forget? Uh, we forget that we're sent, but we forget that we're anointed. Now, when we look at the passage, we're going to see Jesus uh, looking at this passage, um, and he's going to see it for himself in Luke 4. But um, when I was a college student, one of the things that everybody, it's sort of a badge of honor you had to do, you had to backpack through Europe. So, um, so I'm in Vienna, worked my way sort of two-thirds into my trip. And one of the things about when you go to Europe and you go to the great 
art museums, art galleries, you realize before there were big screens, there were huge paintings, okay? And so I'm walking down the hallway, and I'm a new Christian now, so I'm, I'm looking at religious art, but I come to this massive painting, and there's Jesus as a young boy leaning over the scroll. Now around him are all these rabbis and teachers, but the light is on his face and on the word. But what was it like for Jesus when he was a young boy, nine years old, to go to temple, go to the synagogue there in Nazareth, and the scripture scroll was you know, revealed there, and the rabbi was teaching him, but he got to read it. What was it like for him the first time he read Isaiah 61? or Isaiah 53, or Isaiah 49. When we look at these four servant songs, what was it like for Jesus as a young boy to realize, this is my mission. I've been anointed to do this. This is about me. Uh, Jesus came in the fullness of God, the love of God, to fulfill the love of God for people like us. And to what end? So let me, let me just read this to you, because it's so, I mean, there's so many great things here. Um, that, you know, again, uh, we're all going to get hungry at some point. So I'm going to uh, kind of hold myself back here. But, um, you know, when it, when it says in verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, um, you get down to verse 2, it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what is that? When uh, Jesus is reading that, the year of the Lord's favor, if you want to have some fun today, uh, rather than watch the NFL playoffs today, read Leviticus 25. Let me tell you, it's, it's just as exciting. Um, you read Leviticus 25, and some of you already know because you know your Bibles, it's about Jubilee. Now, Jubilee is one of the most amazing things in design of the kingdom that God had for his people that every 50th year, based on seven years of seven Sabbaths, there would be a year of declaring total forgiveness, amnesty, that if you had debt, it was forgiven. If you'd lost property, it was given back to you. I mean, you read it, and it just will blow you. I mean, it will, you'll just go, oh my gosh, this is what God intends in terms of what the kingdom looks like. So when Jesus says, I'm coming to proclaim the year um, of God's favor. He's saying, I'm coming to bring the good news that God's going to pour out his spirit in a way that he's going to do things that show us what heaven is like. You know, I was listening recently to, to a guy, he said this, that the church spends a lot of time getting people into heaven, but doesn't spend enough time getting heaven into people. And part of realizing who Jesus is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven, is we get to bring heaven into earth. What does heaven look like? What does it feel like? It feels like jubilee. It feels like celebration. It feels like, oh my goodness, here is something that's so amazing. And Jesus came preaching in word and deed, and he was helping people see uh, what the kingdom is like, what the, the Jubilee year is like. And so, um, and then he basically is going to say at the end of his life and career, here's my command to you, go. <laughs> you know? So a lot of times while we get stuck is that we're not going. If you want to discover, you know, what God has for you in your anointing, you have to go. 
you have to say, here I am, send me, and start going. A lot of times people won't go until they feel like they get the liver shiver, you know, the move of the Spirit, I know enough, I've learned enough. You know, when I train people how to share their faith, they go, gosh, I, I, you know, I don't know enough. What if they ask me this question and they got all these doubts and questions and skepticism about God using them? And I, and I basically say, just try, you know, and see what happens. Here, try these, ask these questions, do this. And then people come back and go, I did it. And oh my goodness, all of a sudden, a simple, just loved, loving of somebody, asking a good question, opened this amazing doors. So how do you know you're sent? You are already going. You are excited about going with the gospel. North Cross is excited about how do we take this message that can set people free. So um, it's what we need is, again, to rediscover it for ourselves and rediscover that we have a calling because everybody in here who knows Jesus, and most of you do, you've been anointed to go with the gospel. You've been anointed to go and to take the gospel outside of what's your comfort zone, people who love you that you love, and love people that you don't know and you might not love, but in such a way that people can hear Jubilee. They can hear the joy of what it means to have a relationship with God. Now notice um, in Isaiah 61, um, the, Jesus just quotes a part of it. You know, He doesn't read all of it, and that's interesting in and of itself. We'll come back to that in a second. But the first thing he says, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Uh, how you know your scent is, is that you're not sort of dying in your envy of how people have more than you, how, do more than you, experience more vacations than you, all that. You're thinking about people who don't have what you have, and how can you share it? You're thinking about as a church, how can we take the good news to people who are poor? Now, a good survey question would be, if you were to say, who are the poor in this area, and what do they look like? Where are the poor people who have maybe physical poverty that need help? But most people living in this area are spiritually impoverished. They're bankrupt. They're dead. They have no hope. So what does it look like to have a vision for the poor in this area where the church not only sort of, you know, Christmas and Easter kind of Christians, we do things at Christmas and Easter for the poor, real churches get involved year-round caring for people that are disadvantaged, underserved, who are poor because they are sent. They feel that Jesus, this is Jesus' own mission, is caring for people. Now, um, my mentor, Jack Miller, when he went through a real renewal in his life in his 50s, so for some of you who are in your 50s feeling hopeless, Jack Miller had a marvelous transformation in his 50s. Um, his first thing, he felt called to go to the elderly and serve senior citizens. Now, my guess is in this area, there are people who are living on fixed incomes and are barely making it. There are people who need to be served a meal or cared for or driven to a doctor's uh, appointment, whatever. But what it was look like to have the church organized to provide senior services to people so, oh, I know that church will help me get a ride. I know that church will help me with a meal. I know that church will help me figure out how to do my Medicare stuff because I don't understand it. 
You see, it's just a simple thing like that, but it is majestic when you see people catch a vision of what this looks like. So Jack would go visit nursing homes, and here was his ministry. He would go in and say, uh, I'm here to ask you to pray for me. You know, so that was always his lead-in. That was his hook uh, to get in. He'd go visit senior citizens that were, if you've ever been in a retirement home and people, you know, are living in total dependence and they can barely put the fork to their mouth, you know how sad and dark it looks like. But Jack went in and made people feel valuable and he would take us with him and he'd get in there and say, I'm here today because I'd love for you to pray for me. Now, that's upside down, counter to what you think. But most of the people in there were believers or knew Jesus or knew enough to pray. And then he would always say, how can I pray for you? Now, a lot of the early success and thriving of the New Life Church Network, which is huge up in the Philadelphia area, was started because Jack was recruiting people to pray from nursing homes. But as he went in the nursing home, he got us all involved in caring for them and mercy. The good news went out to the poor. But listen to what Jesus says next. He says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. Now here's how you know you're a sent community, is you have a heart for brokenhearted people. And you want to be a part of their healing. Um most of the times we want to teach people, we want to train people, we want to help people. But I, my guess, within easily a three-mile radius of this building, there are people who are sitting at home this morning who are brokenhearted. Life has been cruel. They're devastated. And what would it look like for North Cross Church to say, hey, we're going to map out, there's a big map in the office of this area, uh, is we're going to map out streets, we're going to go and, uh, first of all, here's how you would start, is you're going to go, we're going to have walking prayer meetings through the neighborhoods around North Cross. And this is the thing you can do with families and with kids. Uh, when I was, we were of hour and hour in New York City, we were, there were certain areas we would do Saturday morning, walking prayer meeting for certain areas of New York City. And some of it was really dark. But I'll tell you, if you want something to break your heart, is to be in the West Village where we were and just see the huge gay community and the bars and just to see the drag queens there dressed up in the alley smoking cigarettes and just to meet them and see there's so much brokenness here, you know? I mean, when somebody makes those choices, it's usually not because they feel called to do that. They're doing it because they're running away from something and their hearts are crushed and broken by what they've experienced, usually in the church, <laughs> which is really tragic. Um, but what does it mean to do that? And then what would it look like this is to say, okay, you know, we have this location and so we put uh, cards in people's box every Thursday night, we have a food pantry. My guess is if you would do that, you'd have people show up who need groceries or need help with clothes or need help with a medical bill or whatever. But this is like when you begin to say and dream like this, again, I'm just throwing out ideas. Don't hear me say this is what you're supposed to do. What I Hopefully I'm sowing seeds to say dream what is it that God wants to do through North Cross that he's yet to do that will bring you all together to pray, to depend on what he wants to do, 
to do unbelievable things for him. And then it says to proclaim liberty to the captives, uh, to really set people free. Now, again, another thing you could do in your neighborhood, you know, uh, where you live, is just say, hey, this is Gene and Roger Edwards, and I know they've already done this, but we live on your street. We walk up and down. We're putting a card in your mailbox. We would love to pray for you. How can we pray for you? My guess it would be some of the people that they still know or haven't met yet would come back and drop a card, pray this, or if they left their name and phone number on it. But it's that kind of vision where you go, whoa, um, just simple things like that. But you're going. Here, see, Jesus pours out on people who are going, not people who are sitting on their hands going, I'm waiting to get some divine revelation like Isaiah had. No, he's already revealed himself as been the one who takes away all your sin and then is the substitute for your sin, as we'll look at in just a second. But he wants to send you and me out into people's lives in a way that we catch a vision for what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. And so, and here's the outcome, all right? So uh, Jesus doesn't really quote this in Luke 4, but it's worth going over right now because Jesus is going to say uh, continually in his life, it is necessary for me to do this. When they challenge him, why do you need to go suffer and die on a cross? People can say, you don't want to do that. And he said, it must be fulfilled. His life was lining up with scripture. And any church that's going the way God wants it to go is saying, how does God want to fulfill in us what Jesus started when he was here on earth? And so here, here's the really, I mean, glorious part of why God, you get a kid, you really get excited about those. Um, in verse 3, it says, to grant those who mourn in Zion, which I love that name, Zion, uh, to grant, so it's not about you, but in, in Israel, to grant those who mourn in Zion, a, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Now, that's what the ESV is literally uh, translating right here. Most of you know it's beauty for ashes. And then uh, it's this, to give people a oil of gladness instead of winning. Remember oil anointing? To anoint people with joy. To pray for people's joy. To pray for people to discover the beauty of Christ in a way that they begin to have unbelievable joy. And here's the uh, last one, which is an old scripture song we used to sing is that God has given us a spirit of heaviness, but a garment of praise. Um, to watch people learn how to worship in the midst of their suffering and have a heart that praises God for what Christ did on them on the cross because it is enough. Um, I have shared with somebody, I'm reading this great book on prayer right now called How to Pray for Normal People. And you know, we go, who's normal? You know, that's why, you know, sort of mocking him a little bit. Peter Grieg, Pete Grieg, um, how to pray for normal people. Hey, let me share with you folks. It is, it's a, oh man, it'll inspire you, help you. Because throughout uh, his, um, his book, he gives you little biographies of great people of prayer that'll really respond, uh, challenge you. So he's got hero of this, hero of that. And then he has a chapter uh, on the hero of an unanswered prayer. Okay, the hero of unanswered prayer. 
And uh, the hero of unanswered prayer for him is Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you know she, when she was a teenager, jumped in the Chesapeake Bay, dove in, it was shallow water, broke her neck. And, it, and then in some of her books, she goes in real depths how she was looking for God to heal her physically, all the things she did. And then she realized that wasn't going to happen. And then the story, you talk about Jubilee, the Jubilee in Johnny Erickson's life is just like off the charts, amazing, wow. Like we could just, we could talk and say, hey, I want to be a part, I'd love to be a part of that. I'd love to live that out. But she's got this beautiful line in her writing on suffering. She said, I asked God to heal me, and he did not heal me, but he held me. He held me. And you see, when you begin to understand the embrace, the love of Christ for people in suffering, chronic pain, chronic loss, chronic suffering, and discovering how Jesus holds them and comforts them and helps them, Oh my goodness, that's why I want to go. That's why I'm a pastor. <laughs> I want people to know there's a God who holds us in the midst of unbelievable pain, loss, tragedy that brings worship, <laughs> that brings joy, brings a garment of praise, brings an oil of gladness, that brings beauty for ashes. So a few years ago, um, and maybe five or six years ago, I met this guy through a men's ministry I'm very involved in. And uh, amazing guy, lives in Greensboro, very successful businessman. He's in his second marriage, has a daughter from that marriage. I said, tell me, tell me what happened with your first marriage. Um, so he got married young, lived in Tucson, Arizona area, uh, made a train wreck of his marriage so bad that he, uh, his wife divorced him, gaslighted him. He lost custody of his first daughter. And basically, he was so ashamed of what had happened and what it did, he moves from North Carolina, from Arizona, to run away from all that happened to him there. But he could never let go of the fact that he wanted to know his daughter, you know. And so he would send her letters and notes, um, and his ex-wife would mail them back. And she would gaslight him and shame him to his family and... And so when I met him, he was probably 17 or 18 years into no connection with his daughter and just totally crushed, totally brokenhearted that there was no relationship with her. And I, I'd love to tell you, I had a lot of faith and go, man, we're going to see God move. We're going to see God work. I just remember going, this is, this is, I don't even know if I can pray about this. And I have the gift of faith. I, it's just so hard and harsh and ugly. And, and although he's really trying to live his Christian life and go with Jesus, it is a terrible weight on him that's just holding him back and holding him down. Uh, but I remember praying with him, and then he dropped out of this men's ministry, then he came back. And when he came back, uh, some amazing things started to happen, so much so that here's just real quickly is number one, um, that his wife agreed to let him contact his daughter, who's now grown married, has a grandchild of his. So that happens, and Scott is off the charts, thrilled. I mean, he's just so happy, so joyful. And, uh, and if you were his Facebook friend, it's pictures of him with his 
first daughter, his granddaughter, them with his present daughter, with his extended family. And then you talk about redemption. You know, it's just like, I mean, that would be enough. I mean, just to be around him, and it's like that weight is lifted. And if he was, you know, on 50 horsepower, he's now on 3,000. I mean, this guy is on fire. So uh, recently I was talking with him, and he said, Clyde, you're not going to believe this. And I go, test me. (laughs) But my ex-wife, who gaslighted me, didn't let my daughter have a relationship with me for 20 years, she reached out to me and apologized and asked me to forgive her. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but if you can't, you know, if we were black church, we'd all be standing up doing a little, woo, let's go. All right, let's worship, you know, because our God is that great. Jesus' kingdom is that great uh, because he does give beauty for ashes. Now, the phrase here, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, is a crown. When you get down to verse 7, he says, and tell them that they shall have an everlasting joy. And the picture of Jubilee is God wants to crown you with everlasting joy, not a headdress of disappointment and shame and guilt and brokenness and ashes. He wants to put on your head something as cool as Tara's hat that she's got on over there, that you go, man, I want that, you know? It's like, woo! I want to know this joy that God wants to crown me with. This everlasting joy. Um, you know, Damon is on his way back from India, and uh, he and I were talking about a time when I went to India, and I was there in a part of near Nepal, and I was there a part of a conference, and I had to preach to the church there. And I just remember being undone and overwhelmed with the darkness. I mean, when you're in India, you see it all as third world. It's bizarre. It's crazy. It's wicked. And I just, uh, I just kept thinking, I got nothing, I got nothing, I got nothing. <laughs> and it was one of those nights that I'm wrestling and tossing and turning, and he's, and I just heard Jesus say, "Tell them that I want to crown them with everlasting joy. I want to crown them." And I just remember, whew, I remember preaching that and talking about that. But here's the good news for all of us today, is that was what Jesus wants to do, because here's the gospel, though. Jesus died in the ashes. He wants to give you beauty for the ugliness that he endured. He wants to give you the oil of gladness for the despair that he felt. My God, my God, where are you? Jesus is in there into the darkest part of your story because he loves you, but it goes deeper than your brokenness. And I want to replace a spirit of heaviness, depression, if you will, with a spirit of hope. I want to give to you because I've done that for you. And when he was our atonement, when he substituted himself, he took out all the stuff that we should have for eternity. He took it away from us and gave us joy, a crown of joy. Because he took the crown of thorns that we should have borne He, through his crown of thorns, can now say, here's my joy. Here's what I have for you. And I want to say to you today, if you've never let Jesus bring you that crown of joy, could this be the day when you go, Jesus, I want that. I need that. I have forfeited and given away so much. 
And I need to know that my guilt is forgiven. I need to know that you were my substitute. If you know that, you're right where God wants to be at this moment. And I encourage you to say, Jesus, I receive you. I want a relationship with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the beauty of the gospel, the hope it brings us, the power that's there for us. And I do pray, Jesus, that you would help us to see that we have been sent. We're already sent. We're fighting a battle that you've already won. And you want to uh, just um, wake us up that we're sent, we're in mission. And But now, Lord, fill us with a renewed sense that we are special to you and special to people in our life, to our spouses, to our children, to our grandchildren. You've made us special because you want that special, unique expression of your love for us that we would give that to the people we're closest to and the people we don't know. So Jesus, I pray for everybody here who has a relationship with you that this week they would have divine appointments with people who need, who need what you've done for us and they go, wow. But also we pray for renewal in North Cross Church around its calling to go with the gospel into the dark, hard places, to go to the places where people are living with no hope, are brokenhearted, and totally in bondage to their sin. Jesus, um, help us, we pray. And we ask this in your name. Amen.